0: Welcome on back, Laurentians, to the Scarlet and Brown podcast, where we talk with various different Laurentians, both on and off campus, about their Scarlet and Brown stories. Today, I am joined by Amelia Jancy as my co-host. And while we do have a wonderful Laurentian that we're going to be speaking with very, very shortly, I am just so excited and also a little sad uh, to say (laughs) goodbye to Amelia Jancy. This is her last time podcasting with us, so that will be the last time her voice will grace your ears in this format. But I do want to welcome her on in. Amelia, how are you doing today? Hey,
1: Beth. Oh, I'm good. And thank you so much for that welcome. It's been so special to work on this project with you. I mean, with our other co-hosts and editors, Danny and Megan and Amanda. It's just been so special to be able to hear these Scarlet and Brown stories and to through the lives of all these different Laurentians, really come to see what's so special about St. Lawrence. And I feel like our guest today, Eben Grisby, class of 99, is such a great example of that, of someone who took his Laurentian experience to create not just a career, but really like a sense of impact in whichever community he is, wherever he is, and really... Is committed to being a force of good in this world. And it was just such a wonderful conversation that we had. So I can't wait for all of you to hear this very special Scarlett and Brown story. Let's kick it off to our interview with Evan Crispy.
0: So we are here today with Eben Grisby class of 1999 and we are so excited to talk to such an engaged alum and somebody who has done so much for his local community as well. Eben, how are you doing today? Welcome onto the podcast.
2: Thank you, Beth and Amelia. I'm doing a lot better. I just had wisdom teeth surgery. So Oh my goodness. <laughs> let me just let you know, never get your wisdom teeth taken care of after the age of 18. Take oh my it goodness. It while you're young. <laughs> yeah,
0: not not fun memories at all.
2: No, no, no. no. I waited thirty years too late.
0: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely makes for an interesting week, I have to say. Uh, I had mine done a couple of years after I graduated, and it was uh, that is an experience to go through. So, thank you for coming on to a podcast where you have to talk a lot, especially uh, after you're having your wisdom teeth removed.
2: Story of my life, man. <laughs> the month of what can you get done before school starts? So,
0: right. <laughs> classic. <laughs> It's such an important thing to remember, too, because even one of the things that uh, we wanted to discuss with you today is, is your career in education. Mm-hmm. So, can you tell us a little bit about what you do within your school district and what made you want to pursue, especially special education?
2: Okay, certainly. In my career, I'm going into my 22nd year as an educator. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And yeah, but I'm only 29, but we'll Just
1: <laughs> um, very protégé.
2: Yeah. Right, right, right. Good thing good jeans and cocoa butter. Um, <laughs> I'm a, been a special education teacher for about 21 out of the 22 years. and I would say what got me into it was my I have a brother who's on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and I wanted to be able to give back to the community that mm-hmm. I came from, which is New York City. But I also felt like with these skills, you're trying to empower students who, regardless of their disability, get to realize that they still have to live a life of purpose, still have Mm. to live a life as good citizens and realize that, yes, you may have paperwork that may state that your disability is this. That doesn't mean that we should have any kind of preclusion from you to embark on a life worth having. Absolutely. And, and and as a special education teacher, I always tell people that, you know, it's not about a disability or an inability. It's what can we teach students beyond those limitations? It's trying to give kids opportunities that maybe they didn't think they even had and to make them feel empowered when they're in the classroom. Although realizing that yes, I'm the teacher, I'm their guide, I'm whomever that they need at that point. I've had some kids call me their school parent and I'm like <laughs> freaking out. But <laughs> with respect because for many of my students they're just regular everyday kids who you know they want people to believe in them a little bit more yeah and hopefully you know over the years I've been invited to weddings I've been invited to family events with former students and you don't know it touches your heart sometimes when you realize that some of these kids may have had chances that could have landed them in jail that could have Mm -hmm. put them six feet under, and I've had those too, but I'm not gonna talk about those too much. Yeah, But to mm-hmm. let people know that, you know, you become a part of that student's life in so many ways beyond the classroom, within that 45 minute to 50 minute schedule.
0: I think that's one of the most powerful things about being an educator. I come from a family where both my parents were educators and my dad was my high school principal. So there's been plenty of weddings and, you know, things that he was able to see. Yeah, That was his own experience. We won't go into that too much, Um, but it's been really powerful to hear him for, my entire life, talk about the the impact not only that he's been able to see that he's had on the students, but the same impact that those students have made on him. What has been the impact that your students have made on you?
2: Wow, great question. This tells me you definitely do come from a family of <laughs> um,
0: I have to turn everything into the, like a Socratic method, yeah, essentially. Course, you just ask you a
2: This is what you learned in first year program, y'all. <laughs> What I love is, I think what I gain for my students is the sense of daring. I think it's that sense mm. of thinking outside the box. Because many of my students did not grow up in the world I grew up in. Many of them okay. grew up in, you know, I, I teach in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which everyone knows is home of the Packers. But you know the Packer fans, so and don't have to worry about that. <laughs> go Steelers. And Nice, nice. But as a teacher in a smaller city, I have students who frequently go out into the Northwoods, or they frequently mm. will get in touch with nature or small town stuff. And it lets me realize that there's life beyond a small town environment or a smaller city environment. And that I learned from them, sometimes the simple things can sometimes be more impactful than the big, the grandiose the theatrical stuff. I also have learned too, common sense don't always have to wear a three-piece suit and carry a brief.
0: <laughs> so true. <laughs> Accurate,
2: <laughs> and, and the fact that I can talk to students and colleagues and be pretty honest and pretty level with them for the most part and realize that I'm a big believer in critical thinking, but sometimes I like when students can sometimes turn on the adults and make them think outside of their comfort zone, I guess.
0: Sure. I think that's one of the best things about working with any kind of marginalized group, especially if you're somebody in this case, you know, you have an ability that maybe somebody else doesn't being able to reflect upon not only the privilege of that ability, but also it forces you to think about where other people are coming from. And I know mm-hmm. that from your background, diversity, equity and inclusion is so important to you. Can you speak a little bit about what got you interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion clubs? At St. Lawrence, and the kind of uh, initiatives that you're involved in in your
2: community. Oh, God, you've done your homework. (laughs) Um, Lifelong learner right there. No doubt. doubt. The St. Lawrence difference. I love it. Um, (laughs) I think what made me very interested in these areas was having gone to schools in New York City, which was very much having the world at your fingertips, albeit Mm -hmm. a segregated world, mind you. Mm -hmm. And going to St. Lawrence, it was like the polar opposite of what I experienced. You know, to go from a big city where it was 50 shades of brown and everything around to a predominantly very white, very rural, very privileged mm-hmm. environment, it threw me for a loop. And I think when you go to a place like St. Lawrence, you have to know who you are before you step foot there. There's no way in that. You know, classmates who were generations deep in St. Lawrence, right alongside of us who where we were the first in our families to go to college. We were first gen mm-hmm. college students, which I wish y'all had t-shirts for that when I was in school, but that's okay. <laughs> and I think with getting involved with a lot of the different um, DEI organizations, and I really struggled with some of those terms because to me, it was more like you had to have a niche within campus life at St. Lawrence. And I think for me, me, diversity piece is super important because it's about survival. I mean, in my mm-hmm. case, coming from the Bronx, everything was hinging on day-to-day survival. Yeah. Then go to St. Lawrence and you have to worry about somebody complaining about their food card to go to Dana didn't work. I'm just like, okay, big privilege <laughs> issues there. but. Also, I think I probably was, for some of my classmates, one of the first Black people that they came across. Mm -hmm. And I would sometimes mention to classmates that I never went to school with white people, or I had very Mm -hmm. few interactions with white people my age. And I would have people's jaws literally drop. They would completely be dumbfounded by that. And I said, no, we do live a very segregated world. And I hate that. That's unfortunately our reality. And part of the reason I figure being part of the DEI work Since St. Lawrence, while as a student, but also throughout my career is because I don't like the idea of people feeling isolated. I don't like the feeling of exclusion. I think people need to realize that wherever you go in this world, you're going to bring who you are to the table. Mm -hmm. In spite of the histories, in spite of our cultures, in spite of all the things that are thrown as a barrier or whatever or Mm -hmm. impediment, we still have the ability to move with ourselves at that place. To move to Wisconsin, in order for me to live in Wisconsin, I had to understand life in the North Country. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. (laughs) OK, because yep. no one can tell you more about the cold than someone who's lived in the Arctic Circle, better known. As, <laughs> and I think in among
0: cows and uh, dairy. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. oh,
2: yeah. Oh yeah! <laughs> and the thing to consider is, is I love the fact that working in DEI work, it's not about anything that's tokenism. It's not about noblesse oblige. It's about this is where. I'm a stakeholder in my community. Mm-hmm. I wanna make wherever I work, wherever I live, whomever I'm with better. I mm-hmm. wanna be able to say that where I am has been a better place because I hopefully played a role in that. And I don't, I'm do not i not one of those people that have to be loud and proud about it. You won't see me run around on billboards with that, but I think it's important to make your mark wherever you go. Mm-hmm. And I think it's St. Lawrence doing those DEI, being a part of those organizations, let people know that yes, I'm just as much part of this campus as someone who has been here whose people been here for generations, who who really were part and parcel of the St. Lawrence experience. Mm-hmm. And I think the St. Lawrence experience for me may have been a little different than someone who had grown up knowing this. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know Jack about St. Mm-hmm. Lawrence and I can talk more about that later. <laughs> but I didn't know what the culture was like till I actually was immersed in it. And I learned that part of the DEI work is I had to learn that you can't just be a student all day. You have to be a bit more of a well-rounded individual all day. And sometimes it's a bit more concentrated, a little bit more focused, because when you're a student of color, you almost are dealing with breaking a lot of molds, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of odds Mm -hmm. that many of my peers never had to encounter.
0: It's like you almost have to be like the representation for an entire race or uh, an entire oh, culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, hello. I'm even the, the the black ambassador from from the Bronx. Here you are. Yeah. And we had a we had an interview last year with somebody who I took some classes with, Jifa Yador, class of '11. And you know, she and I talked a lot about how you would talk about race and class, and everybody's head would turn and look at her as if like to get approval. <laughs> or, you are the authority or, on these things. Right, the, <laughs> the authority
2: on this. I was in class at St. Lawrence and I cussed a student out for it. We're still friends. It's, but I kind of was like, um, I don't give off the attitude of I can speak for any one whole population. Right. I can give you my take and my take only. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the views that Eben Grisby has is not going to have a bearing on the whole crux of black life or mm-hmm. Native American life or fill in a blank life. Just like I would never assume, Beth, hey, you can tell me all there is about white women and what white women go through. You can tell me what it is from your world. Mm -hmm. That's going to be different from someone who grew up in Mississippi or someone who grew up on a reservation or someone who grew up even in the Bronx like I did. That's Mm going to be vastly different.
1: It's sort of interesting to hear you talk about that because I feel like from how you've been sharing that mindset has also influenced your your work in special education, too, of each person is an individual. Each person brings their own uniqueness to the table Mm -hmm. um, and their own purpose. And sort of you seem to have this drive for people to be empowered in that purpose that they all have. Have. And so that's really exciting to hear about and to hear that that's your motivator, regardless of whether it's for St. Lawrence or for your community in Wisconsin.
2: Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I think what people don't realize is whatever you bring Whatever your background is, it's going to go with you wherever you go. It's like when I tell my students, whenever I do an IEP meeting, which is basically to see how to best help them with their disability, I tell them the IEP is a compass, not a crutch. It is a walking stick, it is not a crutch. And parents like when I mentioned that, admin like that. And I said, the reason it's your compass or your North Star, it's giving you the ability to see there's life beyond these four walls. It's Mm -hmm. like for me, there's more to life than St. Lawrence, but thank God for St. Lawrence because without my experience at university, I wouldn't be able to impart some of those things to the next level. I could, but it would be taken with a different lens, I guess. Mm -hmm. And also, I think to come in to a place like St. Lawrence, you have to learn that you have to have those compasses. So, you know, people who play a big role as kind of being my North Star in a way of realizing hey, if I want better for myself, you know, outside of your family saying, hey, I believe in you and I can believe in myself, but there are other people in there who value and appreciated my presence and my knowledge and those things. That was huge. And Mm -hmm. it's like that with my students. It's like that in my community. It's just one of those things that I may not make a big loud case for, but I do think That had I not had a place like St. Lawrence, there's no telling what could have happened.
0: I think that's really powerful to hear. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we try to impart upon students about a liberal arts education in general, but specifically the St. Lawrence liberal arts experience, is that the whole point is that you try to learn about a diverse viewpoint. It, it doesn't matter if you're studying geology or sociology or whatever the case might be. We're trying to get you to understand different perspectives, how they can relate mm-hmm. and how they don't. And how does that fold into our understanding of the greater world around us? Ultimately, something that I have through the, the diversity, equity and inclusion work that I do both at St. Lawrence and outside of it, it's, it's all about belonging at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Right. And
2: absolutely.
0: And I really think that the work that you're describing that you do not only as a profession, but what you're speaking to is ultimately with the goal of belonging. You want people to belong regardless of their differences or their viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And I know that you said you wouldn't, you know, put this on a billboard about the work that you do and such, but you were honored with an award. What was it this past year? You were the uh, celebrated as a man of excellence for all of your uh, fantastic work that you've done within your school district and within the community as well. So am I correct in saying that you are the co-chair for Celebrate Diversity Fox Cities as well? That's
2: correct. That is so mm-hmm. correct. And I have been for a number of years and having worked with Celebrate Diversity over the last number of years, it was the merging of two organizations okay. that became this the current iteration of Celebrate Diversity. When I moved out here in 2004, I didn't know what was available in terms of diversity. I didn't know what was out here in terms of it being pretty welcoming, I would tell you I could go for weeks without seeing another brown person. Mm-hmm. You know, I could walk down the street and be like, there are no black people here. This is going to be very interesting. And in my line of work, I was usually one of a handful of professionals of color, be it a teacher. Even before I was a teacher and I worked in public relations, I was usually one of the few blacks that would not in the mailroom. Mm -hmm. or working in the custodial staff or what have you. And I think it's super important for people to realize that you're coming into this work because you want to feel like this is your place. Your place is someone who's been there forever. With Celebrate Diversity, the fact that we get to talk about issues that many times often overlooked in society, Mm -hmm. you know, now have become quite, I hate to use the term trendy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to say, well, I want to talk about DEI work. And it's like, I've lived this, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't just slough it off like dead skin on my body or, oh, it's like having a tan. And then once, you know, two weeks expires, oh, I'm back to normal. No, 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 Mm -hmm. no. This is actual work. It's some people, in my case, a life mission. (laughs) To ensure that people realize that we bring ourselves to the table and what we bring to the table are going to be different from other people. But at the same time, what are some of those commonalities that we have Mm. at the end of the day? To celebrate diversity, what I like is when we do our community conversations and we talk about issues, be it on politics, be it on poverty, be it on race, be it on gender it's important to talk about those issues because we don't have civil discourse as much as we used to we feel like we're more informed we have more information at our fingertips and yet people go away more polarized than they were even 25 years ago when I was a student you know mm, yeah that's scary mm. I grew up with three channels cable was there if you had money cable wasn't there if you didn't have money but I felt like we still had things to tie ourselves to to connect ourselves with and now it's almost like we've Gone into factionalism. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Celebrate Diversity is trying to find ways to bridge things together to build that sense of community, to feel like, no, we know this area, you know, Northeast Wisconsin, where I live, it's a lot better than many places, but it still has a lot of work to do. And I think to live in areas where you've never had to encounter those conversations and have those real discussions, it's eye opening on either side, I think, for people of color as well as for white people. To realize that if you're going to talk about diversity and inclusion, you got to be willing to open up. You have mm-hmm. to be willing to have a certain degree of trust. You have to have a certain degree of civility. You have to have a certain degree of willingness to listen and to hear what is being said to you or with you. And to do it in a way where you're not cutting someone down. Sure, yeah. Because yeah. I think it's easy for a lot of people to just say, eh, what you're going through, that's not my reality, therefore I don't care. And I've had that happen so many times, I don't even want to go there with people. But I had Mm -hmm. that happen in an early age, which can affect your self-esteem, but also can make you a lot more, I think for me, a lot more of a fighter in pushing the message that I want people to feel like they've got some skin in this game.
0: I think that that's one of the most important aspects of any of this kind of work is to realize that even if something doesn't maybe directly affect you, you mm-hmm. still play a role in whether it's mm-hmm. upholding a system or helping to break down barriers. And so you can make it a part of your reality. Um, mm-hmm. And if, if that's something that you're inspired to do, it may not be the same exact lived experience or reality, but yeah. you can be a part of that. And I think that hearing about a uh, Celebrate diversity. It sounds like that's really great work to get people inspired to do that.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it's been one of those things that I really enjoy being a part of and being able to have the privilege of co-chairing with a retired teacher who Mm -hmm. we worked years ago together in another Mm -hmm. district. And it's great because we bounce ideas off of each other. She's an older white woman and I'm me. And (laughs) we were fighting in terms of equity in those things in my previous school district because... The bottom line is the population was diversifying, but our teaching pool doesn't reflect that. Mm -hmm. And it's not about doing this stuff for the short term or doing it because you watched something on the news that made you upset. This is because this is stuff that's happening and it's affecting people personally. It's Mm -hmm. affecting their neighbors. It's affecting family members. And I think in today's world, having access to internet, having Mm -hmm. access to cell phones, you can't avoid these realities anymore you can't just say oh that's just hearsay Mm -hmm. oh no that can't really happen oh no oh i know people who don't do that and it's like we know you don't however these are some of the things that we've been discussing for a very long time Mm -hmm. and that kind of goes back to why for saint lawrence for me It was great to have that educational experience, but it made it possible for me to say, let's think critically about why these things have happened. Mm -hmm. Why have these things systematically been in place? Does that mean that everyone is racist? No. But does that mean that there isn't racism Mm, in the mix? Sure. Okay. And I kind of leave that answer open to people's interpretation. And I think that's something that having a liberal arts college education plays a huge role in the discussions of adding depth and adding that certain flavor that you might not get elsewhere.
1: And I feel like, too, with a liberal arts education, you get comfortable with hard questions and you get comfortable with no easy answers. Right. And that discomfort is really important to being able to recognize that your lived experience is different from someone else's lived experience.
2: Right. And that you can't get at a, I mean, if I went to any of the large public schools, and I'm not going to knock any of the large public universities, but you're just a name in the crowd. I would suggest to people, this is just mine, my suggestion. If you want to do DEI work, it's great to do it at a big university, but the impact isn't the same. Go to mm-hmm. a small university, a liberal arts college, a mid-sized liberal arts school you have a lot more ability to have legacy. You have a lot more of a way for people to remember, hey, I remember this alum, he did this, she did that, they did this. And it really impacted me on that level because now you get to have a classmate Mm -hmm. or a handful, you know, you may be in a room of 12 or 15 people and you can have that discussion and you can break it down after that class is done. And you can talk about that when you're an alum and that may play a role in why you give back. I've always been a believer and whether it's Celebrate Diversity, whether it's as an educator, whether it's as a student slash alum, giving back has always been a big part Mm -hmm. of of my life i'm a big believer in stewardship you want to make the environment a better place you got to do your part if you want to make the community better you got to do your part can't just say oh i'll wait for somebody else to do it and pick up the slack (laughs) No, no one in history will ever just say hey you know i'm gonna let that other person do it you
0: (laughs) no one who's memorable at least said i'll just let somebody else do it
2: yeah right (laughs) exactly like dr king i don't think he'd be like you know, Rustin, you do this for me. I, <laughs> I know. You got me.
0: My friend had a dream. I don't think yeah. that wasn't his speech. That, that um, wouldn't yeah, be nearly as catchy. He had
2: a dream. And yeah, no, yeah. no, that's not going to work, you know? <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, JFK just said to relatives, hey, Teddy, you want to tell them about, you know, my story for moving the space race? No. It wasn't going to happen that way. We had to put our own stake on it. And mm. it may not necessarily come out perfect. Mm -hmm. But like I tell people in my life, DEI work is never perfect. Education is not perfect. There are going to be a lot of questions that sometimes still go unanswered. There are going to be times where you're going to leave people a little baffled because you're asking those questions with that intensity and that depth. But you Mm -hmm. also want to make people realize that if you don't ask those deep questions and basically you just see everything is easy and that's not right either.
0: Something that you said that I really appreciate is understanding and inspiring people to see that they have a place at the table table you have a chair at the St. Lawrence table if you've gone to St. Lawrence. And sometimes I know that if you don't see people who are actively engaged, who have had a similar experience to you, whether that be because of your identity or because of the kinds of clubs and activities you were involved in or your major, it can be harder to say, oh, yeah, I've got a seat at that table. But you're somebody who is still very involved with St. Lawrence and has you know, been a link mentor and has done work with a missions and all these different people. Can you talk a little bit about was a part of your inspiration to give back just because you have that sense of, oh, I need to give back? Or was there something deeper? Was it about I want to make sure that other people who maybe from the Bronx can see that they have a seat at the table even after St. Lawrence?
2: I think a little bit of both mm-hmm. that you just mentioned, Beth. What you got to remember for me, I didn't have a ton of role models in general and I, I mean I did, but not yeah, a whole sure. lot. And I would say that St. Lawrence made it a place where going in, it's like my family this, you know. But when you go to college and you have professors and advisors and coaches who sit there and they're like, let me level with you. You're a smart person who's not using your full potential, you know. (laughs) And let's see how we can make that shine or we can mm. put that out there. I think that's super important because I think many of us think that when we graduate from college, all is well, we don't have to talk much more. <laughs> but I think, especially as an old educators of, of color or alums of color, I think it's sometimes more magnified because you may be one of the few people that you come across with college education. Mm. You may be one of the few people around who've had similar backgrounds or what have you. And wherever you go, you're going to put that part of yourself out there. I think it's super important to say the deeper meaning for me is I like to be able to pay it forward and pass that baton. Mm -hmm. I always would say I'm more of that reluctant leader sometimes where it's like (laughs) I can lead, but man, if I don't have to, you know? (laughs) I feel that. I also learned that if I don't, if not now, then when? And if not me, then who? Mm -hmm. And I think the truth of it is we have to look at, as an alumnus, it's important to realize, I want current students and alumni to realize we do have a way to help others out. It doesn't have to always be financial. Right. I think sometimes it's as much of a purpose and a sense of duty. And mm-hmm. I think it's a sense of responsibility to ensure that the next generation doesn't keep repeating what previous generations have done. It's about making the next generation more astute in terms of working with themselves themselves looking at what they want to do while as a student, what Mm -hmm. they want to do maybe in the future as a career, Mm -hmm. because there's some things that your professors can't solve for you. Your parents can't solve for you. Your drinking buddies can't solve for you. (laughs) You know, they certainly can't solve it for you. But if you're part of any crew, any sports team, sorority, fraternity, you got to remember they are going to be some of those people who will pull you to the side and kind of school you on things but they're going to be people who are going to just say, hey, you just here to have a good time for four years and that's that. And it's like, no, yes, have some fun, but get some serious critical thinking that's going on in the process. And I always tell people, more learning comes from outside the classroom than within. Mm-hmm. The classroom kind of gives you the model, but you have taken the approach and the application of said learning.
1: Yeah, and sort of in that vein of taking responsibility and participating and, and also paving the way for the next generation, you know, I'm curious, like, what are your hopes for the St. Lawrence community 20 years down the road?
2: Um, except I would hope that there would be more direct flights to St. Lawrence. <laughs>
0: Oh, isn't that the truth
2: okay <laughs> from your lips
0: to the air traffic controls i ears. tell you the
2: fact is there's actually southwest going to syracuse i was like yes um, <laughs> yeah. but i think in terms of giving back to the next generation it's letting them know that we understand there's a sense of I understand what you've been through. I may not have come from the same exact background, but there's a certain empathy. There's a certain Mm -hmm. realization that this can be a very tough place for you if you isolate. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to give this place a chance, you're willing to give St. Lawrence a chance, just like any place you've been you will have the most broadest horizons if you give it just a glimmer of chance. There's so many possibilities at a place like St. Lawrence where, you know, for me, thank God I was on student government. I have to say, because often people assume you have to learn about government just in a government class. Even I didn't major in government. I majored in history, which is his cousin, and, you know, majored in history and sociology. Mm -hmm. I like to see how the mechanisms of government work. I like to see Mm -hmm. how our role in the society plays a role within government, governmental structures. And I think it's important to understand that that helped me understand how to work with local officials in my area. It lets me realize that if we say we the people, that means all of us have a claim here, Mm -hmm. that if we really want things to get better for the next generation, we have to start thinking wisely, but also connecting, having students and younger alums connect with some of us who are the OGs in the room. Some of (laughs) us graduated 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and beyond Mm -hmm. because the stories that they have currently might be the same thing that we dealt with 25 years ago that someone Mm -hmm. dealt with 50 years ago. But maybe the approach is a little different. Maybe Mm -hmm. how we connect could be a little different. Maybe how we are able to break those barriers are better you know the fact that i can see students coming in from i'm like i'm frustrated at st lawrence for not having more native american students on campus Mm. because st lawrence was a huge bastion of native american not huge sizable native american population the fact that once you know we had those alums like norman tarbell sunday who I love. When she left the HEOP program, it was like, oh, neighboring schools took it upon themselves to work on it. And to me, I would say that's a major hurdle I think St. Lawrence has to work on is if you're going to deal with DEI, you can't just do it as long as you have people who look like those people. Make this just as much an important case, whether you have said representation or not. You know, we want you here. And even if we don't have staff on campus, maybe there are alums who can work alongside as a consultancy basis. That's why I think it's important to do link mentoring to let folks know, hey, why are we doing what we're doing? This mm-hmm. is why I do this stuff with Celebrate Diversity to let people know that you're not the only person in the community who feels this way, yep. but also there's safety and numbers and knowing that empowerment comes sometimes with having other people being willing to listen mm-hmm. and understand what those challenges are coming from. And to understand yeah. that if you want to make your claim in history, it's not always by being a big name. It's not about being a celebrity. A lot of times it's not about giving away lots of money. It's a lot of times just giving time, Mm -hmm. you know, because I would love to see a Grisby center for this, and the other, maybe that might happen. I don't know. But if I'm willing to say, Hey, Beth, are there young alums in here in the community who need some support? Or, hey, Amelia, are there people in the neighborhood, whether in Wisconsin or whether in New York or Illinois or wherever, and you want them to have lunch with you just to touch base on something yeah. or connect with students who are otherwise not feeling so connected on campus. That mm-hmm. thing forget about, we have all the kids who are like your top 10 or your top 10% who are like the movers and shakers. A lot of times you forget about those students who have just been sliding through and there's a lot of leaders within those, that realm, many of them probably didn't feel that they had a place or felt like they belonged because maybe it wasn't of interest or importance for them at university, but maybe afterwards they were like, mm, maybe I need to connect with that person. And maybe we weren't the best of friends at university, but maybe now as adults, we're now older, our hair's get a little grayer, time is fleeting. So we might as well connect with each other now. And it's kind of making amends for, you know, realizing that, hey, you know, maybe I didn't understand some of these things once upon a time, mm-hmm. right? With no time like the present. Let's see how we can build upon that.
0: I think that's such a wonderful place to end our conversation in I want to thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. I think that, I don't know about you, Amelia, I feel inspired. And now I'm sitting back and be like, okay, what are the ways that I can give my time? Because I do think that time is the most valuable currency Mm -hmm. that we have. So I want to thank you, Eben, for donating your time um, to (laughs) chat with us.
1: Yes, thank you. Um,
0: but also thank you for all the work that you do, not only within your community and in your mm-hmm. school district, but with St. Lawrence and beyond. There's probably hundreds of students and community members, alums, current students at St. Lawrence who are better off because of the way you have treated them or informed Mm -hmm. them of various different topics that are important for all of us to hear. Glad to
2: hear that. I hope I didn't scare some of them off. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) I I have a hard time believing that. I hope it wasn't because they were afraid. <laughs> but, you know, it's, but I thank you and I appreciate you for you all and uh, Megan reaching out with me after meeting with me during reunion. I mean, mm. it took me a long time to come back to St. Lawrence mm-hmm. and I realized it's a little bit, I was a little wistful at points because it was like, wow, things have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, things are still similar, but you know, it's, it's after the school year is done. So you mm-hmm. don't to see all of the students. Right. But it'd be great to make sure that these aren't one and dones, That when we do have these conversations, you know, we can always rebuild or follow up or mm-hmm. you know reconnect to just to let people know, hey, I'm still wanting to let you know that I still love this place and I'm active and I want to do whatever I can to help.
1: Yeah, absolutely,
0: definitely. Well, thank you so much, even. We so appreciate you.
2: Thank Ooh, and you. I appreciate y'all too.
1: there we have it. You know, Beth, I think that'll be the last time I get to say it. There we have it. <laughs> oh, that's so
0: sad to think about, Amelia.
1: Anyway, Ivan was just a delight to chat with, and you could really feel his warmth just exude through the computer screen and his voice and just the way that he looks at the world and sees value in everyone that he encounters and, and wants to sort of celebrate the impact of community and make sure that everyone feels the value that they have. What about you, Beth?
0: Yeah, I think, again, you know, we hear a lot about community and impact consistently when we're on campus and after we graduate. And I really like that he's an example of somebody who truly thought about what's the impact I want to make on my community, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's based off of identities or based off of past experiences or loved ones. And I really appreciated hearing all of his perspectives and the various ways that he gives back and gives through the organizations he's a part of. But I'm excited because I really think this tees us up well for a conversation we are going to have in October with an incredibly special guest. Yes,
1: I can't wait for all of you to hear that. So be sure to tune in next month for a very special interview <laughs> yeah, with Scarlett and Brown Stories.
0: Absolutely. Well, Amelia, for all of us on the podcast, we want to thank you for everything that you've done to get this podcast off the ground and for being such a wonderful co-host. Until next time, thank you so much, Laurentians, for listening. Scarlet and Brown Stories is edited and produced by Amanda Brewer, Megan Fry-Dozier, Dennis Morial, Beth Dixon, and Amelia Jancy. Our music was written by Christopher
1: Watts, inspired by Eugene Wright, class of 49.
0: Subscribe to Scarlet and Brown Stories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If
1: you have a story you'd like to submit to us, you can email us at connect at